everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Future in Review podcast. I'm here today with Mark Anderson, who is the CEO of Strategic News Service and the chair of Future in Review. And my name is Barrett Anderson. I am the COO of Strategic News Service and Future in Review. We are going to talk today a little bit more about uh, Mark's upcoming global report. So if you are a member of Strategic News Service, you will be getting this full report in your inbox as a part of our membership. You can uh, talk more about it on our private social network, FireHQ. Um, but we are going to give just a little bit of background on, on this specific issue, which is focused on the ethics of AI. So Mark, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more, start us out by, by talking a little bit about what, how, you, how do you think about ethics and AI? What is the correlation? So Barrett, I'm gonna begin by redefining what we're talking about, not ethics and AI, but ethical AI. There's a really big difference and I'm glad you, you put it that way. So ethics, I think that people consider, normal human beings, maybe who aren't in the AI world, consider the term ethical AI to be the same as ethics in AI. And I would disagree. So uh, everyone has their own idea of morals, Every country has a different set of cultural values. We all have, you know, indignant anger over the violation of morals. Um, That's not what this is directly about. It's indirectly about that. So since we all care about social justice and and whether AI systems are in some way biased. So here I'm starting introducing what are actually mathematical terms. Yeah. Yeah. What's a bias? So. By bias, I don't mean that person was angry when she collected the data or that person was a racist or whatever. That could happen. But bias mathematically has its own meaning. And in this conversation with you and with our members and friends, I want to gradually, quickly move us from our own biases and emotions and angers and social justice issues to realize that as we talk about ethical AI, what we're really doing is moving from that world whatever our our biases and opinions are, into a mathematical world where AI lives. And specifically, we'll start with the engines, the analysis that is done by AI. And uh, I think it's it's fair and safe to say that quite aside from any opinions we may have personally, when you're designing an AI system on the analysis side, the question you have to have is, can I make a system which is going to find objective truth? Is that possible? How are you going to define objective truth? And what would I have to do as a designer to get there? And that's right. a very different question than saying, what do you think about racism or genderism or whatever, wherever you want to go next? Well, I thank you for that correction. I think it's an important distinction. Oftentimes we think about ethics in AI as how humans are applying AI in which situations, mm-hmm. right? And and what are the outcomes of that? But I think that it is important to state that your focus this week is not on that specific topic. It is about how does the AI or, you know, how does machine learning work in a specific situation and how to be as transparent as possible? Yes, in other words, I believe that the only way to get to what humans want isn't by having bias and anti-bias and bias and anti-bias and arguments and so forth is to develop systems in AI, which are free of all that period and can be proved to be free. 
So then humans can argue over that all night long, which they will. But at least we, we then have a ground truth, an objective truth to start with. And so if that's the goal of a designer of an AI system in the future, let's say, uh, what are the two attributes maybe that would be the sub goals to get there? And they're pretty obvious to me. I hope they're obvious to others. One is the system when it acts must act transparently. Mm-hmm. In other words, you must be able to see how the system did it and why did it do it, whatever it did. It's not enough just to see the outcome, the prediction. It's You have to see inside of it, and this is particularly, let's say impossible today almost, for neural networks. Can't do it, hardly. So um, that's a problem because if you can't see why that system hired that person, you don't know whether it was right or wrong. You don't know if it was biased or not biased. You have no idea. So you have to not only have the outcome be what you're hoping for in terms of bias, you have to be able to see the transparently see the workings of the system to get that. That's the first requirement. The other requirement is, and this is even more important and, and less likely to apply to neural networks, which is essentially almost 100% of all AI today, no hypotheses. Every, I'm just gonna put out an argumentative point here. I believe that every bias, every hypothesis that you or I could make or any other nice person could make will have a bias. It may be intentional, it may be unintentional, maybe you're trying to be counterfactual or counter bias, doesn't matter, it's a bias. Human beings bias things by our lack of knowledge, by our good intent as well as ill intent, we bias things. So number one, it has to be transparent. And number two, no hypotheses, period. If you, if you okay. add those two things, I think you're on the right track. Okay, all right. So if you go into a data set and you scan that data set without any hypotheses and you're looking for patterns in that data set and then you identify patterns in that data set and you can see where those patterns came from. Yes. Kind of what you're describing. Yes. So why aren't people doing this already? The simple answer is they can't. As far as we know, and this is going to sound really arrogant, Pattern Computer, which I'm founding CEO of, announced a month ago that after two and a half years of secret work, we had, and this was this was confirmed by a very important person at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, we were the first in the world to be able to do this with neural networks. Nobody else has got it. There are thousands of people who say they do it, it but technically, as far as we can tell, as far as I think it's fair to say, this person who's a very important person at Berkeley Labs knows they can't. So that tool isn't in the toolbox yet. No matter how badly you wanna do that, you can't do it today. It's a hard thing to do. I can tell you by how much time money we spend on it. It's not an obvious thing you can do. You need to create new mathematical approaches so that you can, in fact, create what's called explainable AI for neural networks. All right, so this is something that you have developed and we've talked about this in, in, I think, one other podcast for sure. Um, is there, let's, let's be a little bit more specific here as a non-AI expert, I'm going to ask you what may be some dumb questions. Is this something that you can apply to any existing neural network? Yes, it applies to any neural network, any mathematics. And if I am a company who's trying to figure out how to get inside the black box of my own neural network, how do I go about, are you guys working with other people? Are you looking for potential clients? Well, how does that work? All the above. 
We have just announced the discovery, as I mentioned about a month ago. We're in the very early days of deciding how to share this. And uh, we'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in the project. We know, for instance, that it applies to all of Europe, which has this law called GDPR, which we discussed. Their law requires anyone who uses neural networks to tell that poor person who was turned down for a credit card or a mortgage why the AI turned them down. Is it ethical? They have no idea. Right. And they can't do it today because they don't have that tool in their toolbox yet. So we're really interested in sharing this. We won't share every part of it. We want to share its use widely. And what do you think that that will enable to, like, what do you, do you envision that this will enable in the world? Why does this matter? Well, as I just mentioned, it, it will radically, people today are proper to be concerned about whether there is such a thing as ethical AI and how you would build it because you can't. So we know about Amazon's huge mistake in HR where they thought they were being ethical, but they weren't. And they were hiring based on uh, gender and based on, I don't know what, probably a lot of things, age, make a list, race. Um, they didn't mean to, I don't think, but they did it. They had to throw the whole system away. You know why? Because they couldn't figure out how and why it was doing what it was doing. They didn't know. They had, to, they had to just dump a three or four year project, make up a number of $500 billion, whatever it was, dump it. And so if they couldn't do it, Google can't do it, no one can do it. And, and that means you should be worried. We should be worried about it. And, and there are all these benefits that come around when you do it, right? So there's, it's not, I would like to say something pretty important. I believe that what we're talking about, you and I are talking about right now is a bit, you know, it's quite groundbreaking on a theory level, which, which may be a first in the world. And what we're gonna end up talking about in about a minute is, is it possible that by following what people would call ethics, we call it ethical AI, it actually rewards you, not just because you feel better or social justice was achieved, but it literally opened the door to better science. To, to the real discoveries, major discoveries? And the answer is gonna be absolutely. And so there's a payback here to people for caring about this beyond what they would normally call their own moral view, where, where no matter what your moral view personally might be, there's a payback to your company or your country and the people who are there in your company or your country so that you, you'll actually make great discoveries. You'll make more money. You'll advance things better. It'll be exciting. You know, you'll do good things by doing good things. It's really going to be a, a, a sea change, in my opinion, in quality compared to just what you might call moral justice. So it's way beyond the normal human definition of ethics as we bring it into ethical AI. And one example of that is we published a paper. It's on our on our website at Pattern Computer uh, with 35 co-authors from the national labs, from Cambridge, Yale, other places, Cornell. And, and the idea was all of these people who were pretty important, quite important in the AI world, agreed that when there is explainability and transparency, it will change science. It will change how we learn to learn. And say, more, say more about that. What's, what is, how will it change science? All of us were taught in you know, fifth grade that here's how the scientific method works. You make up an idea, that's the hypothesis. You do an experiment and then you test through the experiment, you get the results and you go back to the beginning and go again. Cancel that, that's bias. That hypothesis is biased, no matter how good your experimental design might be. 
So what they said in that paper, what we said is flip it. Only let the data speak to you. No hypothesis, thank you. Show me, which we've done, show me all the data for women who died of triple negative breast cancer. I'm not bringing a hypothesis to this. I don't have an idea. I don't have a clue. I don't want to give you a clue. I'm not going to give the machine a clue. I, that would be a violation of our code. What we're going to do is we're going to run the data of the genomes of those women who died and didn't die. And, the, and that data will speak to us with its own hypothesis. We will able to, be, to get a hypothesis by listening to the data instead of telling the data, I think it's this chemical or I think it's this problem. It'll change science. That, it'll flip the scientific method. Yeah, it, stri it strikes me that it like, that could have huge implications for R&D specifically and yes. government. And, and one, you know, one of the business cases where I've heard this is a major roadblock is in FDA approval, you know, government approval yes. schemes yes. where you really like you have to run the data, you have to wait a couple, like six weeks to get the data back, you know, and then you can, you start again, you have to do the experiment over again, as opposed to just, okay, here's what we found about this. Yes. Take this data and, and do with, you know, take these patterns and, and try to integrate them within your work. That's right. And I think there's an awful lot of mistakes that happen in science. There's a lot of data that gets left out, which is fraudulent. There are other forms of, of fraudulent papers run by corporations who didn't want to have the bad news get out on anything, drugs or something else. Uh, all that could go away. Now, there's one exception, and it's an important exception. If you do all the stuff we just said, and you build a beautifully and purely ethical AI analytical engine, what if someone gives you data which is biased? We're right back to that, right? Right. You train on biased data, you need a biased outcome. And so anyone who knows the business will have bought, will have been saying that to themselves for the last 10 minutes while we talk. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the data? Because you have to take care of both. You can't just take care of the analytics side. You have to make sure that the data also is not biased. Or when you train against it, you'll have a biased outcome. So um, you then would probably wonder, is it possible? And you know it's hard. It's really hard because someone brings you data you don't know them. Right. Somebody collected it ten years ago in Brazil. How do you know? Who knows, right? Was that person a sexist or a racist or a genderist or an ageist or whatever? Who knows? Or were they even unintentionally biased by only showing up at nine in the morning or nine at night or whatever? You know, there's so many ways to introduce bias into a data set. And so um, there, there is no final answer to that question, but I think there's a little good news available. And that is that if your system is advanced enough, you can find certain things which will lead you to saying or seeing that there is a bias. And there are different types of bias, right? There's intentional bias. That's probably the easiest one in some senses to see. Um, and that may just show up as fraud. So imagine that you're an insurance company and it turns out that whenever people call three times instead of twice, it's more likely to be fraudulent. I don't know. I'm just making this up. But yeah. there will be things like that that are just tells, you know, they're just tells. And so you combine one or two of those. It's probably how they do it today. But that's very basic. What if you could combine 30 of those, which is a more advanced system working? So what if they're actually, it's easy to fake out the first two things, but there are actually 30 tells. And when they're all together, it's a 98% certainty that that was fraudulent. Okay, we could do that. 
that's good. So that throw out that, that data, right? Or, or, or use it backwards. And then what about the unintended? You know, so there's something else there. What, what if um, stuff was just left out? Maybe, maybe what happened was people didn't take data on Monday, or maybe the guy who took the data on Monday was different than the woman on Wednesday, or maybe there was a different company and they changed companies where they're collecting the data and they did a totally different quality of job. Well, let's, let's apply this question to a very commonly cited uh, problem with lack of data, which is crime, right? Okay. So uh, it is often said of crime data that it pr predominantly tracks neighborhoods that, that are mostly made up of people of color because those are the neighborhoods that have been targeted in the past due to, you know, you name it, structural inequities, racism, all of this. Could be, yeah. From the beginning of time. But that's if what you're saying just now could be a bias. I'm just going to point that out. So we don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Yeah. Let me finish the rhetorical though. Sure. So if that, if that is true, mm -hmm. how would explainable AI looking at that data set find that out? What would, what would be the signal that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're missing a set of data because crimes are not being caught as much as frequently within a specific population as within another population. Hmm. How would you identify that? That bias. First of all, I'm not. I'm not the person to ask that question of. In terms of real a real example, I'm not a criminologist. Hmm. But in terms of a general use of that kind of example, hmm. um, it would be very straightforward to say we want to look at the whole city, or we want to look all day and all night. Or we want to look at however we want to say it. We want to look at who's gathering it. Who made the report? There, you can look at so many aspects to the inputting of the data that at some point you're going to find discrepancies if it's being done improperly, and that's how that's the answer to your question. But I want to say something else, even more important. It's guaranteed if you do this right that people will be upset with what you find because they don't necessarily want the truth. If it turns out, I came from Chicago, as you know, so let's just take that as an example. If it turns out that the number of homicides is much higher on the south side of Chicago, which I believe to be true. And if it turns out that that's where a lot of black people live, which is I know is true, is that a bias or is that what's happening? And if it turns out that that's what's happening and you publish it, someone will be upset. But what you care about mostly, I hope, are the lives of the people who live there. And it'll turn out that they're very happy that, that you did that because they're gonna have, actually wanna have more protection than they have today. So we talk differently about how that's delivered, but they'll want more. And so it's really important to separate one's own political agenda, whatever it might be, from this question. And the question is going to be what we started with. How, do, how can you make sure that we're finding objective truth, both in the collection of the data the, and the curation of the data? Nobody pulled anything out or whatever. And then how it was analyzed. And what'll happen, and I don't think people are quite ready for this spirit, but what'll happen if we do it right is we'll find out objective truths about social issues and, and fraud and crime and insurance, all kinds of stuff, right? And I'll give you one example that's a little bit less uh, uh, maybe sensitive, but I think that for instance, I'm not sure that all insurance companies really want this. I'm not sure that banks, we were approached by a bank that I will not name, and we turned them down as a client. They're a major international bank. They wanted us to help them with something that we knew they were breaking the law in, and we said no. 
And they've been convicted of this in, in federal court. So clearly it's not my opinion. They were breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, I mean, there are a lot of people today who walk the dark side in one way or another morally, and they're not gonna be happy whether they're CEOs or managers or cops or moms and dads, whatever they are, if there's a system that suddenly shows up, which can be demonstrably proven to be fair and, and unbiased and objective, that'll be upsetting to people, to some people. And we have to be ready for that as human beings because we hopefully, those of us who are of, of good moral character will be delighted to have that. Well, it strikes me, you know, on a very human scale, Google comes to mind hearing you talk about that, right? Anytime someone pulls up an issue in their team, they tend to get fired. <laughs> They're having a little cognitive dissonance on the AI right. I don't, I forget how many people have been fired and quit, but it's a lot of a them. Lot. Yeah. A good number. It's a good number. Yes. And that, that's a good point. It's, it's uh, absolutely true. So um, not everybody is ready or, or willing to listen. Now, to be fair to Google management, and I want to be careful how I say this, there are well-known cases of people claiming things which are demonstrably not true, and Google let them go in terms of what the system appeared to be doing. So you have people who are kind of kooks, and you have a lot of people who are just trying their best and getting put down for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming you're uh, you're referencing the AI become, being alive. The AI is not a seven-year-old girl or boy. Okay. It is not sentient. It is a, it is a conversation uh, AI. And we all know about how to do that, and they do a nice job. It's been around for 30 or 40 years, and they're fun to talk to, and they're not little girls. So I want to, I want to, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to end um, on a, on a note, which is um, we SNS strategic news service is, will be working with pattern computer mm-hmm. over the next probably six months, at least mm-hmm. to identify potential solutions for bringing explainable AI into the broader ecosystem. Yes. Um, this will be through a series of roundtable discussions with experts from across the AI and machine learning field. Yep. It will be focused on finding ways to deploy ethical AI throughout society. Yes. And I say this because uh, we are in the early planning stages of this. And if you are someone who is working in that space and wants to get involved with that initiative, um, we would love to hear from you. You can email me. My email is Barrett, B-E-R-I-T at stratnews.com. Um, and this is something that we will be continuing to work on and discuss and focus on in the months to come. So you'll probably hear more about ethical AI and explainable AI here uh, from us on this podcast. Very exciting. And I want to, just before we close, Barrett, I want to one more time emphasize this thing, which I think is breakthrough, which is for me personally, at least, maybe there are others who've done this, I haven't seen it. The conversation we're having right now about ethical AI, in my experience, is the first time where I could have a conversation with you, for instance, about ethics, about ethical AI, that directly connected to the scientific method and to benefiting scientifically and even financially from making major discoveries in business or in science by having 
a moral compass inside your AI. Well, I think it also speaks to this broader challenge that we have in society right now, which is no one trusts anyone. There is no such thing as truth, right? And there's always, it's this side versus this side, this side versus this side. This company is always funding this study. People don't trust scientific studies anymore because they're often backed by a specific yes, financial that's interest. Right, that's right. And so I think, you know, if you think about the possibility of, oh, we could actually look at like big problems or big yes. challenges and find much more scientific develop it, develop a much more scientific understanding of those challenges. Objective. It's a very yes. ob much more objective yes. understanding of those challenges as opposed to where's the grant funding going in this specific space or where's the government funding going or where's the corporate funding going? I think it's a, a hugely exciting prospect. It's kind of like the age of, we're, we're on the edge of the next enlightenment in a way. It could happen. It could happen, it's exciting. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Thank you, Brad. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.